نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger this evening bi-iznillahi ta'ala we would like to begin a new series of lectures dealing with matters related to al-aqidah al-islamiyah the islamic belief system or islamic creed and the book that we have chosen for this series it is a very small essay of al-imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab ibn sulaiman al-tamimi al-najdi rahimahullah from amongst those essays which he is well known for in explaining very very important issues of Islam in a brief and concise manner the title of the book that we want to discuss it is entitled Nawaqid al-Islam Nawaqid al-Islam the things which nullify someone's Islam indeed <coughs> In this essay, Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, he has identified or mentioned a number of things which the Muslim scholars of past and present have identified as being the cause of nullifying someone's Islam, of abrogating or eliminating or destroying someone's Islam. Just as a non-Muslim enters the fold of Islam by the sincere pronouncement of the words of Shahada Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam just as a non-muslim enters Islam through these words the testimony which he should have the conviction of that testimony in his heart and he pronounces it on his tongue that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger the non-muslim enters Islam through these words and in the same way that a, Muslim, that a person enters Islam by the sincere testimony of the shahada of la ilaha illallah wa Muhammad rasulullah likewise their words as well as actions and beliefs that if a person pronounce those words 
or they performed or committed those actions or held those beliefs in their heart, then they would also go out of Islam in the same way that they have entered into it. The Muslim scholars have identified a number of those things, nullifies, which nullify someone's Islam, the nawaqir of Islam, along with the clear proofs from the Qur'an and the authentic sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And they are normally mentioned in the books of fiqh under ridda, apostasy, that a person goes out of Islam through the commission of such acts. However, we have mentioned it here under the category of al-aqidah, al-islamiyah, because it is part of our belief and our creed that a, mus a Muslim must avoid the pronouncement of certain statements or the commission of certain acts or holding convictions which are contrary to Islam, otherwise the Islam that they held would be nullified and abrogated. We would like to begin this series with introductory comments and definitions and the mention of some important points related to this topic due to the sensitivity and the serious nature of this topic. Indeed, we must be careful that we don't misunderstand what is being presented here. We are not presenting this topic so that someone, so that any one of us may say to another Muslim, if they heard them saying certain words or saw them in the commission of certain acts, that you should say to them, Ya Kafir, you are a disbeliever, O disbeliever. It is not our intention to enable or to equip anyone to call another Muslim a Kafir, but our intention is to know what are those things that nullify one's Islam so that we can avoid it ourselves and so that we can warn other people from those things so that they may avoid it. Our intention is not to criticize and to condemn and to put people out of Islam, but it is our intention to avoid falling into that which nullifies someone's Islam. Before beginning with the matters directly related to the topic, as has been our custom, that whenever we begin a book for study, that we always mention the biography of the author, so that we will be sure about who it is from whom we are taking this knowledge. And that was the way of the early generations of the Muslims, as Salaf al-Salih, that they used to be careful to select and to choose who they take the knowledge of the deen from. The biography that I have selected to uh, read from this evening, it is somewhat lengthy. Uh, so for the purpose of trying to uh, save time or to economize on time, I will select a few any portions of this biography that I think are of importance. And also in light of the fact that we have studied other books of Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab and we have discussed his biography previously, therefore I will concentrate uh, on the essentials of his biography and some additional points which we have not previously mentioned. This biography, it is <coughs> that which has been 
uh, included in the commentary of Sheikh Abdulaziz Ibn Ibaz Rahimahullah in his commentary on Kitab al-Tawheed. <coughs> and he has said here uh, in the introduction it is mentioned that he is Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab Ibn Sulaiman Ibn Ali Ibn Muhammad Ibn Ahmed Ibn Rashid Ibn Barid Ibn Musharrif and Najdi At-Tamimi yani it is sufficient to know his name and the name of his father and grandfather Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab Ibn Sulaiman Rahimahullah he was born in the year 1115 1115 of the Hijra calendar and he was raised in a household of people of knowledge a household of knowledge his father was one of the scholars of his land and he had been appointed as a judge, a qadi on a number of occasions his grandfather Sheikh Suleiman also was a noble scholar and an imam in the science of fiqh or in the knowledge of fiqh, jurisprudence and he was also the mufti the one who made the legal rulings in his land, in his time. He was the mufti of that land, his grandfather. And Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, he has studied with a number of the major scholars and the outstanding students of knowledge in his time. His uncle, Sheikh Ibrahim ibn Sulaiman, also was one, one of the noble scholars of that time. It is clear from this that Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah that he was raised in an environment of knowledge, of scholarship. And he was sharp-witted. Yani he understood things quickly and easily. And he was one who was very intelligent, known for memorizing quickly. He memorized the Quran before he reached the age of 10. And he studied with his father the books of Hanbali fiqh, the books of the Hanbali madhab, the madhab of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah. He used to read many books in addition to that which he has studied with his father. And he also read the books of tafsir, the explanations of Qur'an, al-hadith, the sayings and actions and approvals of the Prophet ﷺ, and al-usool, usool of fiqh, the fundamentals, yani the basic principles or, or rules that are used in order to derive rulings in jurisprudence, the fundamentals. He also gave special attention to the writings of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah and the books of one of his students al-Allama ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah and these books the books of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah these books of these two great Imams had a tremendous effect on his developing personality and in the field of scholarship and knowledge. 
and his taking, or his, these books were that which led him to take in from the authentic sources of knowledge. And also that he was led in the correct or right direction since he was very young. Since he was very young due to the sources that he had learned from, his heart was concentrated or full of the correct aqidah, al-aqidah al-sahiha. And therefore we can say that he is a graduate from the books or the writings or the teachings of these two great meticulous imams, that is, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and al-Allama ibn al-Qayyim. This is yani, a summary about his learning and education, and it is also mentioned here his travels to other lands and the people that he studied with in different countries. The second point of his life, it is related to his da'wah his call, his invitation. What was the thing that he was calling to? And I think this is one of the essential aspects of the biography of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, which has not been given great emphasis. The usul, usul da'wah to Sheikh rahimahullah. What were the fundamentals of his call? The call of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. He himself has clarified what were his fundamentals in one of his essays? And he said, number one, as for that which we are standing upon in terms of deen, then we are upon the deen of Islam. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning it, وَمَن يَبْتَغِ غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَيْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْهُ وَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ That whoever desires other than Islam as a deen, whoever seeks a deen other than Islam, then it will never be accepted from him. It will never be accepted from him. And in the hereafter he will be of the losers. He said, this is the deen that we are upon. As for what we call the people to, that which we call the people to, it is a tawheed. What we are calling the people to, it is a tawheed. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning it in his speech to his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي وَسُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayat he says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commanding him, قُلْ Say these words, say, this is my way. This is the way of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, say, this is my way. I call to Allah ala basira. Ad'u ila Allahi ala basira. That my call, it is to Allah. To Allah alone. Not to a group or to a party or to an organization. Not to a particular sheikh or scholar or teacher or madhab. But the call of the Prophet ﷺ, it is the call to Allah, the call to a tawheed ala basira, based on knowledge. Not based on feelings, but based on knowledge. Ana wa man ittaba'ani. He said, this is what I call to, I and those who follow me. Whoever claims to be following the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, then their call, 
the test of whether or not they are following him is that their call is what his call was. He said, I call to Allah based on knowledge. Ana wa man ittaba'ani. I and whoever follows me. So whoever doesn't call to that, then they are not from the followers of the Prophet And this ayat is closed with the words, Subhanallah wa ma ana min al-mushrikeen. Subhanallah. Subhanallah, it is the declaration of Allah's perfection and that Allah is free from every imperfection and everything that has been falsely attributed to him. Whether the claim that he has a son or that he has a spouse or that he is more than one or whatever has been said wrongly against Allah. Subhanallah, it is the declaration that Allah is free of all of this and that Allah is perfect. وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And the Prophet ﷺ, he is, the, he is ordered by Allah to say that I am not from amongst the mushrikeen, those who associate anything with Allah or declare anything to be equal to Allah or offer to anything other than Allah that which is the exclusive right of Allah alone. And then he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَإِنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا and that the masajid, the places of sajda, the places of worship, the places of salat, that they are for Allah. So do not call along with Allah anyone. And don't call on anyone other than Allah. Ibadah, it is the right of Allah alone. And this is the establishment of a tawheed. He said, as for that which we prohibit the people from, we prohibit them from a shirk. That which we call the people to is a tawheed. And that which we prohibit the, from, the people from, it is a shirk. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an concerning it, إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ That verily, whoever associates something with Allah, a shirk, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ Allah Himself has declared it to be haram for that person to enter the jannah. Whoever falls into shirk and does not repent from it and dies on shirk, major shirk, then Allah has prohibited, Allah has made it forbidden for that person to enter the paradise and their final resting place, it is an nar. Also, <clears throat> there are many other ayats that he has mentioned here concerning this aspect of the fundamentals of his da'wah and the ayat of Quran and hadith of the Prophet ﷺ concerning a shirk there are many the fourth point of the usul of the da'wah of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab he said as for that which we have mentioned or that as for that which you have mentioned concerning the reality of ijtihad Ijtihad, whether or not we are calling to Ijtihad in the deen, that we are making Ijtihad, that we are not following the four Imams or any of the earlier Imams, and we are making our own opinions. He said, as for that what you have mentioned concerning the reality of Ijtihad, he said, فَنَحْنُ مُقَلِّدُونَ مُقَلِّدُونَ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ he said, we are followers of what? We are muqallid following what? The book, Al-Quran, and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and the righteous predecessors of this ummah, meaning the sahaba, 
radiyallahu anhum ajma'in and the tabi'un and those who followed after them following their way. He said this is what we are following and we are following or we are relying upon the sayings of the four Imams Abu Hanifa and Nu'man ibn Thabit rahimahullah and Malik ibn Anas rahimahullah and Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i rahimahullah wa Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahumullah all of them jami'an he said this is what we are following the Quran and the Sunnah and the righteous predecessors the early generations of this Ummah and the sayings of the four Imams number five he said that we have not come with anything which opposes the Naql yani that which has been transmitted the revelation Quran and Sunnah we are not opposing وَمَا جِئْنَا بِشَيْءٍ يُخَالِفَ النَّقْلِ وَلَا يُنْكِرُ الْعَقْلِ That we have not come with something, something new as they claimed. You have brought a new religion. He said we have not come with anything new, which is in contradiction to the revelation, the Qur'an and Sunnah. Nor have we come with anything that the intellect rejects, the sound, sane, healthy intellect. And he said that we fight against those who worship idols just as the Prophet ﷺ fought against them. And we fight against those who abandon the Salat and who prohibit the Zakat just as As-Siddiq, Abu Bakr As-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, the Siddiq of this Ummah fought against those who abandon the Salat or prohibited the zakat. He has also said in another essay concerning his fundamentals of the very important matters, also essential matters, is a takfir. He said, as for takfir, I declare the kufr, the disbelief of the one who knows the deen of the messenger of Allah wasallam, and then after knowing it, he abuses the deen and he prohibits the people from that correct deen and he fights against those who practice the deen this is the one who I declare the disbelief, the kufr of him and most of this ummah and the praise belongs to Allah for that they are not like these, these those who, yani, who abuse the deen and speak ill of the deen and prohibit the people from the deen and oppose those who practice the deen. As for fighting, we didn't fight against anyone except the one who has killed someone else or who has done of that which, who has violated that which is sacred. And we fight only in response to those who fight against us. And then he mentioned the saying of Allah in Surah Shura chapter 4, وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا And the reward of the one who does evil is evil like it. And likewise, those who openly abuse or curse the deen of the Prophet ﷺ after they have known it. This is what he said in another place. And then he said, finally, the eighth point, he said, and we require of those who are under our authority 
to perform the salat and to pay the zakat and the other things that Allah has made obligatory and we prohibit them from a riba interest and drinking intoxicants and all other types of evil. These fundamentals Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned his own self. The first of them that we stand upon the deen of Islam. And the second of them is that what we call to is a tawheed. And the third of them is that which we warn the people against it is a shirk. And the fourth of them is that we are the followers. The followers, not blind followers, but we are the followers of the Quran and the Sunnah and the righteous predecessors, early generations of this ummah, including the four imams. And the fifth of them is that we have not come with anything that opposes or contradicts the revelation, that which came in the Quran and Sunnah, nor that which could be opposed by the sound mind. And as for takfir, he said, we only make takfir of those who the sharia has made takfir, those whom Allah himself has declared to be kafirs. And as for fighting, we fight against those who should be fought against due to the condition of that which causes them to be fought against. And finally he said, we make obligatory on those who are under our authority to perform the prayer and to pay the zakat and do the obligatory duties and to avoid that which Allah has prohibited. The next point of importance, and it is the last point of his biography, it is the sources that the scholars of this da'wah, the call to Quran and Sunnah, the sources that they rely upon, and the minhaj or the methodology that they travel upon in giving legal rulings and dealing with the issues of deen. What are the sources that they have relied upon and what is their methodology or minhaj? He said the first of them, it is the noble Quran and the acceptable, reliable explanations, tafsir of the Quran. And the second of them is a sunnah and nabawiyya, the prophetic sunnah and the explanations of the sunnah. The third of them, it is the books of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his student al-Allama ibn Qayyim rahimahullah and others besides them in the various sciences of Islam. Number four, it is the books of the four madhabs, al-madhahib al-arba'a, and particularly, more especially, the books of the Hanbali madhab, the madhab of al-imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahullah, and that which is proven to be more correct, even if it is from the other madhabs, if the delil that it is based upon shows that it is more correct than the madhab of Al-Imam Ahmed. Finally, naam, this is indeed the last point, the fruits of his da'wah, the fruits of the da'wah of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah and its effects. The first of them, he said, it is the establishment of the Islamic State in the Arabian Peninsula. And indeed the establishment of an Islamic State is of the utmost importance. And it can only happen after the establishment of Islam in the society and in the lives of the Muslims. 
after establishing Islam, the call to Tawheed and Sunnah, then the Islamic State was established in the Arabian Peninsula. Number two, the correction of the Islamic Aqidah, yani eliminating all of those false beliefs, whatever is related to shirk and innovation and superstitions and so on. Number three, the extending, extending of the effect of this blessed da'wah outside of the Arabian Peninsula to other lands. And this da'wah indeed it has reached the uh, other countries such as Asham, yani Syria and Jordan and those countries, Egypt, Al-Maghrib, yani in North Africa, even Africa, Sudan, Yemen, Iraq, Pakistan and so many other countries. This blessed da'wah, the call to the Qur'an and Sunnah, to At-Tawheed, it has reach those lands. The fourth of the benefits or the fruits of his da'wah is the existence of a movement, a scholarly movement which caused the people to free themselves from blind following, blind following, that is following the opinions of those who came before them, that they attribute to the imams, the four imams or others, without evidence. Yani freeing the people from blind following, but following the imams based on evidence and not just following whatever has been passed down, whether it is correct or incorrect. The fifth of them, it is the movement for or the establishment of a movement of writing, producing literature and those books that he has written himself and those who came after him from amongst his students are benefiting the people until today. This is the end of the, and what we have time to mention, except uh, we should mention some of his writings, and some of the most important of his writings is that which we have previously studied, Kitab al-Tawheed, and likewise his book dealing with major sins, al-Kabair, Kashf al-Shubahat, the uncovering of the false arguments of the people who engage in shirk and the refutation of them, the summary of the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, Usul al-Iman, the fundamentals of Iman, Fadail al-Qur'an, the virtues of Qur'an, Fadl al-Islam, the virtue of al-Islam, al-Usul al-Thalatha, the three fundamentals, al-Usul al-Sitta, the six fundamentals, al-Qawaid al-Arba'ah, the four principles, Mukhtasar Zad al-Ma'ad, the Mukhtasar of the book of Ibn Qayyim, and so many others. These are some of his books, some of the well-known ones, and many of them, alhamdulillah, have also been translated into English. Secondly, yani just briefly, due to the lack of time, the comments of Sheikh Abdulaziz ibn Baz, rahimahullah, concerning al-Islam, and that which nullifies it in a speech that he gave many many years ago rahimahullah entitled al-qawadih fil aqida wa wasail as-salamatu minha yani those things which cause a defect or cause harm to the aqida and the ways of saving oneself from that or or preventing the harm that those things cause he said that uh, the aqidah, it is that which a person believes in their heart, 
whether it is good or evil, whether it is corrupting or reforming, that which the person has in their heart, that is their aqidah. But what is expected is that a person should have the correct aqidah. He said that it is obligatory on every person to seek the correct aqidah. Because in this world there are many types of aqidah. Many of them, or all of them, are false, except that aqidah which came in the Book of Allah, Al Quran, and the Sunnah of the Prophet. That is the aqidah Islamiyah, the pure aqidah Islamiyah, which is free of shirk and which is free of bid'ah, innovation, and free of ma'asi, sin. This is the aqidah that has come to us in the Qur'an, and which has been indicated by the Prophet ﷺ in the Sunnah. This is Islam. And this is that which Allah has said in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 19, إِنَّ الدِّينَ islam That verily the deen with Allah is Islam. And that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 3 الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمْ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ That today I have perfected for you your religion and completed my favor upon you and chosen for you Islam. Uh, then the Shaykh said that this deen, it is the deen of the prophets, all of them. It is the deen of Adam. Salam, our father, and it is the deen of the prophets who came after him, Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Dawood and Suleiman and Ishaq and Yaqub and Yusuf, and it is the deen of all of the other prophets besides them. It is the deen of the prophet Muhammad وسلم, with which he has been sent to all of humanity. The prophet وسلم, said, in an authentic hadith that is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, Al-Anbiya ikhwatun li'allat yani the prophets, they are brothers from different mothers. Ummahatuhum shatta Their mothers are very, varying. Wadinuhum wahid yani their, their mothers are varying, but their deen, it is one. Meaning their, their foundations, their sharia, or their law, it may be different, but the essence of their deen, it is one, it is a tawheed. This means that the deen of the Anbiya, the essence of that deen, it is one, it is tawheed and iman, that Allah is the Lord of the worlds. As for their legal, uh, the laws that Allah has given them, then they may differ. They may differ, and this is what the Prophet ﷺ hinted at in the words that they are, ikhwatun li'allat, or awladun لدرات, that they are brothers or that they are children from different mothers while the essence of their deen it is one and this is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 48 minkum that for every one yani every one of the nations we have made from them a law that they should follow a sharia and also a minhaj a way, a clear way that they should follow. So they are brothers from, the, from one father. Their father is one, while their mothers are different. And he said, this is the, the meaning of the MBA, the, that they are brothers from different mothers, while their deen is one, 
it means that the Tawheed and the Iman is one while the law that they have been given may be different. And then he has mentioned the meaning of La ilaha illallah and the meaning of Muhammad Rasulullah. And he closed by saying that the Qawadih are divided into two types. And yani those which affect or harm the Aqidah, there are two types. One type which nullifies it or destroys it, it abrogates it. And the other type which lessens its perfection or weakens it. The first of these are what is known as the Nawaqid of Islam, that which destroys or nullifies the Aqidah, and that which weakens it or causes a defect in it, it is the acts of sin, such as stealing or fornication or lying and so on. And he said in this essay, and this is just the summary of it, that those things which affect the deen from the Nawaqid, they are three or four types. That which causes the person to go out of Islam by their speech, that which causes the person to go out of Islam by their action, that which causes the person to go out of Islam due to their creed, their belief, their aqidah, and that which causes the person to go out of Islam due to doubt. Yani doubting the correct belief or doubting that which Allah has legislated, that it is indeed legislated and so on. And then he closed by saying that it is incumbent on every Muslim to, be, to know these things and to be aware of them and to avoid them and to call others and he warning others from them. As for our book under discussion, it is entitled, as we said, Nawaqid al-Islam. And here, al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned ten of them. Some of the scholars said that Nawaqid, linguistically, it is the plural of Naqid. Linguistically, it is the plural of Naqid. And in Naqd, it means to destroy something that you have built, such as a building, destroying the building after building it, or a covenant after making an agreement, breaking it, or a rope that you have twined together, untying it. This is the meaning of naqt, to undo something, to destroy something, or to violate some agreement. In the sharia, and naqt, it means deviation from what Allah has legislated to something else other than it in the affairs of our life, no matter whether it is turning away from it to something else in our speech, or in our silence, or in our movement, or in our stillness, or in our action, or in that which we leave and abandon. Whoever has turned away from that which Allah has legislated, whether in speech or the absence of speech when it is required, or action or the absence of action, when action or movement is required, or the doing of something that is obligatory, or the abandoning of that which, uh, and the doing of that which is forbidden, or the abandoning of that which is obligatory, whoever has turned away in these matters, then this is what is meant by the naqid, or the nawaqid of Islam. And here we are talking about those beliefs, particularly although it also includes action and speech, but more importantly and primarily it is those beliefs 
which nullify or negate or contradict the teachings of the correct way of Islam. A Muslim must be aware of these things and avoid them at all costs. It is incumbent that Muslims make an effort to know what are the nawaqir of Islam so that they may avoid them and that they may also inform and warn others that they may avoid them likewise. Uh, before closing, I want to discuss the issue of a takfir because these nawaqid that we will discuss in this book they are things which if somebody comes to know them they might be inclined to declare the one who they have seen doing such a thing or whom they have heard from saying such a thing they might be inclined or tempted to declare that person to be out of Islam a takfir the issue of a takfir a takfir it means to declare a Muslim to be out of Islam. To declare somebody who says they are Muslim, to say that you are a kafir, that you are not a Muslim, you have gone out of Islam. Takfir, it means, it is from kafara. It means satara or ghata, to cover something, to cover over something. You say that the farmer Kafara al-zari al-bidr fil-ard idha ghatahu bitturab. The farmer, when he puts the soil over the seed, you say he kafara, yani he covered it. He covered it. In the technical language, however, takfir, it is the opposite. Kufr, it is the opposite of iman. And it is a legal matter. A takfir to rule that somebody is out of Islam, it is a legal matter that has to go back to Allah and the Messenger of Allah. That which has been indicated by the Book of Allah, the Quran, and that which has been indicated in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that such a thing is kufr. If we find in the Quran and the Sunnah that which indicates that an action or a speech is kufr, then we say that it is kufr that which has been proven by the Qur'an and Sunnah. As not being kufr, then we say it is not kufr. However, before declaring something to be kufr, then there are conditions. Four conditions have been mentioned by most of the scholars. The first of those conditions before declaring the kufr of someone, the first of them is the establishment or proving that the word that they said, or the action that they have done, or the thing that they have abandoned, is in fact disbelief, as indicated by the Qur'an and Sunnah. Yani whoever sees someone doing something, or saying something, or abandoning something, they must first establish the fact that that statement or that action is in fact kufr, according to the Qur'an and Sunnah. Not that we imagine, or we think, that maybe it is kufr, but we should have proof from the Qur'an, clear proof from the Qur'an or the Sunnah that such an action or such a statement is kufr. The second condition of the shurut, it is the establishment of the fact that this speech or this action has in fact been committed by that person, that the one who is being charged with kufr, that in fact they have said such a thing. 
or that they have done such a thing. The third condition is the establishment of the proof against that person. Yani if indeed someone has said that which is kufr, or they have committed an act which is kufr, then the proof, the statement, or the action that the person does of kufr, it might be indeed the correct ruling in Islam. However, we are not necessarily entitled to declare the kufr of the one who has said it or the one who has done it, except with its conditions, as we have mentioned previously. Because it is of necessity that these conditions of takfir have to be first met, and that the prohibitive factors, factors have to be absent. Indeed, a person might be new in Islam. A person might be ignorant. Ignorant to the extent that prohibits the declaring of that person to be a kafir due to their action. A person might do something which is indeed an act of kufr. And he might not know that it is kufr. He might not know that this act is an act of kufr. Therefore, it should be made clear to him. So that he may return. If it is made clear to him, then indeed when he came to know, he would probably return from it. And therefore no one should declare him to be a kafir. A person might deny something that is of the essence of Islam. Muta'awwilan, yani giving a reinterpretation to that thing, interpreting it in another way. And his interpretation may be wrong. And this, the person who doesn't intentionally deny that which is true in Islam, but due to false or wrong interpretation and other such things, these are of the mawani or those prohibitive factors which prevent that person from being declared as a kafir. This is a very important principle that has to be understood and attention should be given to, should be given to it because no one has the right to declare the kufr of another person according to their desires or their feelings. But it is of necessity to return to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the understanding of the righteous predecessors, the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and those who came after them, so that whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Prophet has declared to be a kafir and the proofs have been presented against that person, then that one is a kafir. And whoever the Qur'an and Sunnah has not declared to be a kafir or the proofs have not been presented against him, then we cannot declare that person to be a kafir. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah has said concerning this topic, if we know this, that which has been said above, then we should also know that declaring the kufr of a particular person from amongst those who are ignorant and the likes of those, so that we rule concerning that person that he is one of the kafirs, that he is one of the disbelievers. He said, this is not permissible for us to do except after the proofs have been presented to that person. Except after the proofs have been presented. And that the correct message of Islam has been made clear to them. And it became known to them that they are opposing or they are contradicting the Messenger of Allah Wasallam. Even if, he said, even if what they have said is clearly without a doubt a statement of kufr. Yani, until the evidence is presented, we should not do so. And also, 
Yani from this we can understand the necessity of distinguishing between the act, which is a type of kufr, and the person who has committed that act. Because not everyone uh, who has done an act of kufr should be declared specifically as a kafir. Likewise, he has said that the one who falsely or wrongly reinterprets something due to his ignorance, then that person is excused. The ruling concerning that person is not the same as the ruling concerning the one who stubbornly rejects the truth, who stubbornly refuses to accept the truth uh, from amongst those who oppose the truth while knowing or those who are corrupt, sinful, wrongdoers. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made يعني, a ruling or يعني, he has declared يعني, the position of everything according to its situation or condition. Also, he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. That hadith is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. And this hadith is a proof of this great principle that we have summarized here. And it is the hadith that is reported from Abu Hurairah anhu from the Prophet ﷺ, that a man has done every type of wrong and evil. And when death came to him, he advised his children he said to them that if I die, then burn me up. Burn me up and destroy my body. Burn it into ashes and throw it in the wind into the sea. He said, I swear by Allah that if my Lord was able to reach me, to overcome me, to punish me, then indeed he would have punished me with a punishment that no one else has been punished with. And then he said, they have done that. And he said, do this to me so that Allah will not be able to punish me in the next life. Burn up my body and throw the ashes into the wind, into the sea, so I can escape from Allah's punishment. Then Allah said to the earth, bring forth that which you have taken. And then that man came forth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, what has caused you to do what you have done? He said, the man said, khashyatuka ya Rabb. It is my fear of you, O my Lord. Or he said, makhafatuka, the fear of you. Then Allah forgiven, forgave him for what he has done. Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah said that this hadith, it shows that the man was in doubt about the power of Allah, Allah's ability to return him from that condition. In fact, he really believed that he would not be returned and that Allah would not be able to punish him if they have done so. And this is kufr, to believe such a thing that Allah is not capable of retrieving that one whose body has been burned and tossed into the air and to the sea that Allah cannot return him and punish him, this is kufr by agreement of the Muslims. However, because that person was ignorant, he didn't know. He was indeed a believer who feared Allah, and he feared Allah's punishment. And that's why he did what he did, out of fear of Allah. That was the proof that he believed in Allah, even though he was evil and sinful. And for that reason, Allah has forgiven him. And this is the proof then, that the scholars, the people of ijtihad, if they make ijtihad in an issue, and they err in it, those people who are trying to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, but they err in their judgment, then they have more right that they would be forgiven by Allah than that sinful man who has done every type of sin and corruption, and nonetheless Allah has forgiven him. The last point that we want to close with is the, is the issue of Al-Udr bin Jahl being excused due to ignorance. Uh, and this also is a big issue that and he requires more time than we have. However, in brief, uh, I will just mention one statement, the fatwa of Sheikh Salih, 
Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, concerning Al-Udhr Bil-Jahl, that is it true that a person is excused due to ignorance in every case or situation or circumstance? Indeed, the principle of Al-Udhr Bil-Jahl, that a person is excused through ignorance, is confirmed by the people of Sunnah. But the question is whether or not there is an absolute excuse for any action or statement or belief due to ignorance. And here the Shaykh has been asked the question. He said, some of the Muslims have fallen into acts of shirk, yani associating something with Allah, or expressing on their tongue express expressions of shirk. And this is due to their ignorance, that this is opposed to the Islamic way. So are these people excused due to ignorance? And then he said also in the question, what is obligatory for the students of knowledge and the scholars concerning these people in the matters of the aqidah and other matters? The Shaykh, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, said, whoever has fallen into acts of shirk or, express or spoken expressions of shirk and he is in the Muslim society where he is capable and able to ask the scholars and he is reading the Qur'an and the hadith of the Prophet and he is hearing the sayings and the speech of the scholars, then he is not excused for what he has fallen into. Then he is not excused for what he has fallen into. This is because the da'wah or the call, the message of Islam has reached him and the proofs have been presented, but he has ignored it. As for the one who is far from the lands of Islam, who is living in the lands of ignorance, where the people have no knowledge of the deen, or in the society where Islam is not known at all, then this person is excused due to ignorance because no proof has been presented against him. Nobody has spoken and explained and called the people to the right way. And he has not rejected it, but he has not been told. He has not been taught. He, ha he didn't have a chance to know. He said, this one is excused. However, if the da'wah or the call has reached him and he came to know his mistake, then it is obligatory on him to make tawbah, to repent to Allah from that which he has done out of ignorance. In this day and time, with the advancement of the means of communication and the nearness of the lands due to the advanced means of transportation, there doesn't remain anyone who, who the da'wah of Islam has not reached, except rarely, except in few cases. The da'wah of Islam has reached all over the earth because the awareness of Islam has spread to all parts of the earth to the extent that the proofs are indeed established against anyone in this day and time. However, there is a problem that remains and it is that most of those who are falling into these acts of major shirk are living in the Islamic land, in the heart of the Islamic land where there are scholars present. However, those scholars are not accepting the da'wah of Tawheed. They are running from it, and they are also warning people to run away from it. And they are using evil, insulting terms concerning it, Tawheed. And this is the greatest harm. This is the greatest ill, yani the catastrophe that has befallen the Muslims. That the people who are falling into these acts of shirk are in the Muslim lands. And there are scholars there, but the scholars themselves are running from Tawheed and running from the Sunnah and also warning the people to stay away from it. 
So what is obligatory on the scholars is that they must call the people to Tawheed. As the, all of the messengers of Allah السلام, have called the people to Tawheed, and they must warn the people from that which opposes it, that is a shirk, and they must clarify what, yani, they must clarify those things that the people have fallen into in some of the societies, the major shirk that takes a person out of Islam. And they must explain also the reasons that cause people to fall in this shirk so that the proofs will be established and that the clear, the correct path will be made clear. Then Allah will guide whomever He wills to the straight path. As for the matter, if the scholars remain silent and they just accept the matter as it is, or if they themselves turn away from giving attention to the da'wah and they turn to other secondary matters and they leave the fundamental things as has been done in some of the societies today, then in this case there is no benefit whatsoever from that da'wah which they are calling to and this is not considered the da'wah to Islam. And in essence here, the Shaykh, he has made a distinction. And the point is, what he has made clear here, is that Al-Jahl, ignorance, is not an absolute excuse, but as long as the people are in a land where the knowledge is available and the scholars are calling to Tawheed and the Sunnah and warning the people against Shirk and Bid'ah, then the one who ignores that call and refuses to listen to it and refuses to follow it, then he cannot say on Yawm al I didn't know that this was shirk. I didn't know that this was bid'ah. But he will be responsible. Because every person is responsible to know his deen. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Talib al-ilm, faridatun ala kulli muslim. It is an obligation on every muslim to seek knowledge. And the most important knowledge is the fundamentals of the deen, at tawheed The tawheed of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdika. أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك. In the next ten minutes or so, we can take any questions or comments or any corrections. And if the adhan is called from this masjid, we will listen to the adhan and after the adhan complete whatever questions are remaining. If the sisters have any question, you can call. Now, up there. On the border of halal, is it true that smoking is on the border of halal? Border of haram? Smoking cigarettes, you mean, huh? Smoking is haram. There's no doubt about it. The earlier scholars, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, used to say it is makruh. But today it has become clear from medical research that smoking causes harm to the person. It causes cancer and it kills even. And we are, no one is allowed to kill themselves because that life which we have is a trust from Allah. Inshallah, we'll listen to that then and take the other questions, Inshallah.
حول ولا قوه Uh, the question, when you tell people about shirk, they have their own explanations. Is, is this ignorance? Depends on the explanations that people give. If you tell people about shirk, and you give them clear evidences from the Quran, and the explanation from the reliable books of tafsir, that are established and well known in the Muslim society, tafsir ibn Kathir, or Tabari, or Qurtubi, and such books, if you give them the verses from Quran with its proper explanation and it is clear and you give them the authentic hadith of the Prophet and it's clear and they refuse to accept that which is clearly stated in the Quran and Sunnah and they give some other interpretation while proofs have been clearly presented then they are not excused due to their reinterpretation reinterpretation is an excuse, ta'wil is an excuse for the one who cannot understand the proofs that has been presented or no proofs have been presented nobody has explained to them or nobody has explained clearly with evidence and proof clear explanations then that person who has a, another interpretation a wrong interpretation is excused through the interpretation because they are not outright denying they are not saying that this is not a part of Islam but they are saying I understand it differently however when proofs are presented sufficiently and properly and clearly and the person who they have been presented to understands it because everyone's intellect is different. Not everyone can understand the thing that another understands. It has to be presented to the people on their level. If you are speaking to a college uh, student or university professor, then you can speak to them in one way. Not the same way that you speak to a child or a common laborer or an educated person. So as long as that person understands what has been presented, then they have no excuse. Otherwise, if they don't understand, then they continue to interpret it in some other way according to their mind that they think it is really correct, then inshallah Allah, yani Allah knows what is in their heart and Allah excuses those who really don't understand. Now, let me take the question from the seat. Now, two questions. The, f the second of them is the person who doesn't pray, how can, what, what shall we, or how can we explain? I think it means how can we explain to them. Uh, the person who doesn't make salat, the abandonment of salat willingly, knowingly, consciously, willfully, it is kufr. There is no doubt about it. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ concerning this are clear. 
Uh, that person should be made, they should be told that we have been ordered in the Qur'an to perform the Salat. And the Prophet ﷺ have ordered us to perform the Salat. And this has been explained clearly in the Sharia. And the proofs that the one who abandons Salat is a kafir are clear in the Sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ has made it clear. الْأَحْدِ الَّذِي بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنُهُمْ الصَّلَاةِ فَمَنْ تَرَقَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرَ that that which the covenant or agreement that is between us and them is salat. Whoever abandons it, then he has fallen into kufr. It's clear. So that person should be given the proofs and evidence and encouraged, encouraged to return to Islam and perform the prayers. And the other question, the first question the sisters ask concerning the masses of the Shia, Rafida, the Rafida, uh, those who they are of various madhahib and different beliefs, but the majority of them they have the beliefs in the rejection of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and declare Ali to be preferable. And even they declare the kufr of the Sahaba and, the fact, and they claim that the Qur'an has not been preserved. And so many other beliefs that their imams are infallible and they control the atoms of the universe and they die only when they will. All of these beliefs are kufr. It is kufr. They said, we shouldn't should we declare the kufr of these people or shall we consider them to be ignorant? The correct opinion concerning this, and Allah knows best, is that the masses of the Rafidah, those people who are living in the lands of the Rafidah, Shia, who haven't heard the call to Islam and the Sunnah and correct Aqidah, then Allah is the judge of their condition. We say that what they believe and what they say of those statements, it is kufr. As for the individual one from amongst them, if you saw one of them and he didn't know about Islam, he only knew the kufr that he came to in that land, then Allah will be the judge of them, as Allah is the judge of the Ahl Fitr, those people who the message of Islam didn't reach in different periods of time, or in this day and time, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as reported in the authentic hadith in the Sahih, that Allah would call them in front of him on Yawm Qiyamah, and he would say, am I not your Lord, and they would admit, and then he would tell them to enter into the fire. He will make, prepare a fire and he will order them and whoever obeys him, they would be in the paradise for obeying Allah and whoever disobeys him will be punished. So that we declare the general madhab of the Rafidah as kufr. Whoever says that is a kafir. Whoever believes that is a kafir. However, a specific individual from amongst them, we don't declare him to be a kafir until we present the proofs to him and make him to see his error and give him a chance to repent from it. And Allah knows the best. I think one of the other brothers had a question now. That what? The call to Qur'an and Sunnah is Wahhabi movement? Uh, and those who say that the call to Tawheed or to Qur'an and Sunnah is the Wahhabi movement, then we can simply ask them, what was that movement before Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab was born 250 years ago? When 1,400 years ago, the people were calling to Tawheed, the Qur'an called to Tawheed, the Prophet called to Tawheed. If what the Prophet ﷺ have called to and Sahaba have called to 1400 years ago, if that call to Tawheed and call to the Sunnah and warning against Bid'ah and Shirk, if that is Wahhabism, then we don't call it Wahhabism, but there's no harm. Since one of the names of Allah is Al-Wahhab, then it is the deen of Al-Wahhab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no harm. However, it, Allah has named his deen Al-Islam, so we don't accept such claims, but we only simply ask them what was that call in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Sahaba and those who came before Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab 
rahimahullah, who only came lately, and he only called to that which was called to before him. He didn't bring anything new. He didn't bring something that was ingenious. He came with a new idea. But he only followed that which the scholars of Sunnah before him have presented. Naam, If the conditions are fulfilled for takfir and the mawaniya or the prohibitive factors are absent and the proofs have been presented against someone, can anyone at all declare that person to be a kafir? Well, the answer to this question is that it is permissible. However, it is not the right of every individual to use his ijtihad in declaring whether or not the proofs have been presented and the prohibitive factors are absent, and the conditions have been fulfilled. But that is the ability, or it is the right of the Ahlul Ilm, the scholars. Therefore, every common person who thinks he knows, and then falls into this, is falling into something very dangerous. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that whoever says to his brother Muslim, Ya Kafir, then it will be true that it will come back to one of them. Either what he has said to that person is true, that that one is really a Kafir, and if he is not, then that one who has said so, he will be a kafir. Because he has declared a Muslim to be a kafir. So the Prophet ﷺ have warned us from such things, to call a Muslim a kafir. Because whoever does so, without knowledge, from amongst the common masses, taking the position that belongs to the scholars, then they will subject themselves to falling into kufr. Because to call a Muslim a kafir, it is kufr. So no one should take such a position, but the scholars, it is their right to engage in such, if it is necessary. And in any case, there's no benefit in calling the person who we think is a kafir as a kafir. The Muslim who we think has fallen out of Islam, there's no benefit to us to say he is a kafir. If we call him that or don't call him that, it will not enter us, cause us to enter paradise or otherwise. But if we fall into kufr by calling a Muslim who is not a kafir by such a name, then we will lose all of our reward. We will lose what we have done in this life. And we will be of those who are in the hellfire as a kafir eternally. And Allah knows best. If somebody came in the last rakah of the prayer, and they prayed with the people the last rakah, they have to make up what they have missed. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that if somebody came late to the prayer, they should not hasten or hurry, but they should go calmly. And they should join the Imam wherever they find him. And they should pray with him what they have caught, and they should make up what they have missed. So if he has prayed one rakah, then he should pray, stand up when the Imam makes taslim, After the fourth rakah, after the fourth, yani the ruku of the fourth rakah. There's difference of opinion in the, amongst the scholars concerning this. Some scholars said that whoever has missed the rakah, the rakah is achieved by joining the imam in ruku, when he is bending in ruku. Whoever reached the imam in ruku, then he gets credit for that rakah. If he has come after that in the last rakah, then he didn't get credit for the rakah. Therefore, some scholars said that he has missed that prayer. And they said that the person should stay behind the congregation and pray the prayer separately. And other scholars said that they should complete the four rakah that they have missed, even though they didn't get credit for it. 
Because the Prophet ﷺ, he ordered us that anyone who came to the prayer late, he should join the Imam wherever he finds him. If he finds the Imam in sajda, and that is in the hadith, he said if you find him in sajda, then you should make sajda. And the one who is in sajda means he has missed the ruku. So he didn't get credit for the rakah, and he has yet ordered us to join him in that position. Allah knows best. It is a matter of fiqh, and there are differences of opinion about these things. Uh, whoever does that one or the other, inshallah, there's no harm. Now, any, uh, how much time remaining for the akama? Huh? So, last question. Can we call the Christians and Jews disbelievers? You mean say to them that you are a disbeliever or say that they are disbelievers? Can we make a general statement or can we say to them? We have to make a general statement that the Christians and Jews are kafirs because Allah has declared them to be kafirs and the Prophet ﷺ have declared them to be kafirs and the Prophet ﷺ said in the authentic hadith reported in the Sahih Muslim that whoever hears about that which I have come with yani the Islam, the Quran and he doesn't believe in it from amongst the Ahl Kitab he mentioned specifically from amongst Ahl Kitab he said if they die without believing in it, then they are guaranteed a place in the hellfire. Indeed, the Christians and Jews are disbelievers. The Quran is clear and the Sunnah is clear. And even some of the scholars have allowed that you may curse them. You may say, Kafirin. But some scholars said that you shouldn't say to one from amongst the Christians or Jews or the disbelievers that the la'an of Allah, the curse of Allah be upon that particular individual. Because that person might embrace Islam. They might not die as a kafir while they are living. But in general, you can say that they are cursed. The Christians and Jews are cursed. And you must say that they are kafirs because it is required of a Muslim to believe that a kafir is a kafir. And whoever denies that the Christians and Jews and pagans, whoever denies or has doubt about their, whether they are kafirs, this is also kufr. It is one of the nawakir of Islam that nullifies a person Islam. If he doesn't confess that the Kafirs are Kafirs, that the Christians are Kafirs, and the Jews are Kafirs, and the other pagans are Kafirs, or even if he has doubt about their Kufr and their belief, is it correct or not, that is also Kufr. So are we allowed? We are not only allowed, we are required to acknowledge and to declare that whoever doesn't believe in the Tawheed and that which has come in the Quran and Sunnah, that they are all Kafirs, and Allah knows best. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Please. <laughs>